you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. You can take your Bibles and turn to Hosea chapter 11. We're going to dig in there this morning. So I wonder how many uh, know what that symbol is there, if you can see it or not. The three dots moving there. You know what that is, right? I call them the typing dots. So you sent a text, and then that shows up because someone's typing and they're responding to your text. You know, so I know Facebook uses it, and iMessage on your iPhone uses it. Um, but you know, there's a lot going on when you see that on your phone. You know, and like the person on the other end, they're trying. They know you're seeing that, so they're trying to figure out. You know, lots going on there. Uh, in our world of instant communication, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a thing, being able to respond, you know, rightly. Uh, I don't think it's a, a secret that uh, our president likes to tweet. <laughs> and that doesn't always go so well, you know. Um, so, yeah, he, he uh, I, and I'm not encouraging you to get a Twitter account if you don't have one. And I'm not encouraging you to follow our president if you do have one. Uh, but, yeah, this doesn't always go so well. So uh, Pastor Jonathan Carl, and that's Carl with a C, uh, he is of South Fork Baptist Church, and he got this notification that the president mentioned him in a tweet. And so he got a little bit excited until he went and read what the president wrote. And the, pre- uh, the president said, uh, he's a lightweight reporter, and he's giving phony hurricane reports. Now, if you're confused about that, uh, so was Pastor Carl, because Trump intended to tweet about Jonathan Carl, that's Carl with a K, who's an ABC News reporter, and Carl uh, had just fact-checked some of the president's inaccurate predictions about Hurricane Dorian and the threat to Alabama back then. So after this president, after the president's spelling mishap and the, the, the mistaken identity, Pastor Carl tried to leverage the moment uh, to make it a teaching moment for our, for our president. So he wrote an open letter to President Trump on his blog. He said, I'm not mad at you. I'm actually sad for you. My first reaction was to laugh out loud to your tweet. My second response was sadness and compassion. Our words overflow from our hearts and can quickly evidence the health or sickness in our souls. You called an, an experienced reporter a lightweight. But let's be honest, you are a lightweight too. We all are. God is the only heavyweight who knows it all and gets it right all the time. And then he went on, Pastor Carl did, to sort of contrast President Trump's words with Abraham Lincoln's, and he urged him to be slow to tweet. (laughs) So our lives are full of opportunities to respond, responding to news, to circumstances, to people. You know, and sometimes to tweets, and we can get it right and we can get it wrong. Well, this chapter in Hosea has a lot of places that call for a response by us as followers of of Jesus Christ, because it's God's amazing love on display. So let's pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit to help us, help us learn more about God's amazing love for us and to respond rightly to it. 
Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and we're thankful for your word. Um, We're thankful for the the truth that you have given us here in in Hosea about you, about your people, and how that relates to us in our lives today. And as as we've been longing to know more about this amazing love you have for us, understand it more, to live our lives in a way that... Um, that doesn't take it for granted. Uh, we, we have to lean into your Holy Spirit because we need his help uh, to understand and to grow and to respond rightly to the ways uh, that you pour it out on us. So I pray today you'd use this word in our hearts, that you'd encourage us, that you'd call us um, to respond today, and that it would be good for us and it would be uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So chapter one begins here, and it seems like there's a it's, it's a nice change of pace uh, from what we've been reading over the last few weeks here. And it sounds like something new in the book, but actually it's the end of a section that started all the way back in chapter four. Then you know where we get this litany of God's judgment over over His people, and so this is kind of the wrap up of all of that. So in verses 1 to 4, God is returning to an image of the family, except this time he's not using that husband-wife like he did back in the beginning of the book with with, uh, uh, Hosea and Gomer. He's using a parent-child picture to illustrate him and his his people. And so that's going to help us respond to God um, with uh, with devotion. So verses 1 to 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. So Hosea's got this picture that's mostly tender. You know, of this parent-child, you know, God loving his people. And he's, he's hearkening back to the days when things got started as they came out of Egypt and how God rescued them there. He says, when they were a child, I loved him. Um, so out of Egypt, I called my son. So back to the days of, of Exodus. So God made a decision there. He made a decision to love his children. He, he decided to call, to call out to them. So he's making the first move. But the more I called them, the more they went away. They sacrificed to Baals and made offerings to idols. And so Baals is just like this big general term there of all that idol worship that was going on at the time. And you can see it happen almost immediately in the book of Exodus. You know, as Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, the people go back to what's familiar to them. And they start building that calf, you know, made with their own hands. And they commit spiritual adultery right out of the gate. And if you think about Israel, they had lived 400 years in Egypt in slavery. And Egypt had idols on every corner. I mean, they were all over the place. And so they'd heard about their God a lot, but they hadn't seen much of them. But here the Egyptians, they've got all these idols everywhere, and they're praying and bowing down. So the things began to mix together. And so Israel was fighting this fight within themselves. to follow the God that they hear about, but they're not seeing? Or follow these idols and, uh, that you can see and touch and, and feel? And so God, he reached down to help them walk with him. I love that picture. You know, I, I was seeing Sam walking around here this morning during worship practice. And I, I remember when he was learning how to walk, you know, and, and even the girls, they're following him around and picking him back up, putting him on his feet. You know, that's a, that's a beautiful picture of God loving, you know, us as we learn 
to walk with him. And how did he do that? Well, he gives us special grace. He gave the Israelites special grace. He manifested his presence to them. You know, that pillar of fire at night, you know, and the cloud by day. He's like, hey, I'm here. You know, you can see me. And then when they stumbled and fell down, God reached them and reached down and picked them back up. He says he healed them, but they didn't know it was him. And then verse 4 describes God leading them with cords of kindness and bands of love. He was easy on the yoke in their mouth. So the cords and the bands and the yoke, those, that's all instruments to help, help along an animal, to guide and direct an animal. Except God's sounding like he's using these in a way that you would use for a pet rather than a beast of burden. So he's pampering Israel. He says he was, so he was pursuing them with loving kindness like a father does uh, his small children bending down to care for their needs. And, you know, he still does this today. He still pursues us with this incredible loving kindness, reaching down to help us, helping us learn to walk, picking us up when we fall, healing us, protecting us, you know, and, and, and we don't even uh, recognize it at times. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing to remember, you know, that our God, our sovereign, almighty God who created everything, He's he's all-powerful. He is all-personal, too. He's with us. He knows our name. He knows uh, what we're going through. He knows our hurts. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows the tears that we shed. He knows all of these things, and he's with us, walking through us, walking through life with us. And and that's a beautiful thing uh, to remember. And so you think about what, what kind of response does that kind of love deserve? You know, what should it be? Well, when, when he calls, we, we should answer. You know, when he loves us, we should return it. When he says, this is the way, walk in it, we should, we should walk in it. We make our lives fully devoted to him in, in every area of our lives. I mean, think about it. Anything less is less than a right response to that kind of loving kindness that's being poured out by God Almighty, that, you know, that divine love. So there's this movie out there. It's, a, it's an animal movie. And it's, it's about a dog. And I guess it's akin to Old Yeller. I, I don't know this for sure. I've not seen this movie, I don't think, but it's called Hachi, A Dog's Tale. And so it's a story, uh, a real story based uh, in, in, from Japan. But th- it's about this, this university professor named Parker Wilson. And he, he steps off his commuter train at the end of the day after he's coming home. And he, he comes a- a- upon a stray Akita puppy. And so Parker takes the dog home, and he's determined that he's going to find the owner. So he puts all these posters up around, around he's, he's waiting uh, for a response to these posters. And while he's waiting, uh, the dog and Parker, they get this friendship going. I mean, they're, they're tight. And so at his wife's uh, resistance, you know, he's asking, hey, can, can we keep the dog? And she's like, no, no, no. But she finally gives in. And so Parker has a new, a new pet. There's a Japanese colleague at the university that he works at and notices the tag on the dog's collar that says, that says Hachi. And so that's the Japanese word for the number eight. And so, so Parker calls him Hachi. And so one day, Hachi follows Parker to the train station where he's going to get onto the train to go to work. And, you know, Parker's saying, you got to go home, go home. Dog won't do it. So he takes the dog home. He has to go all the way back home, take, take the dog home. And then he goes to work. 
Well, at the end of the day, Hachi hears the train whistle and he bolts out the door and he runs to the train station and he waits there for Parker to get off the train uh, to disembark. And so when, when that happens, Parker's just blown away by this display of loyalty by this dog that he just, uh, that he just got to know. Uh, the next day, Hachi does it again and again. And so this pattern gets established of Hachi showing this uncanny devotion with regular displays of waiting on his master to come home. Well, one day, Parker suffers a fatal heart attack in the classroom, and he dies. But unaware of that, Hachi, he's at the train station waiting for his master to get off the train. And he does that for 10 years until he finally falls asleep there his, his one last time. I thought, that is really unfair, uh, you know, to, to share with you. But what a beautiful picture of devotion that that is. I mean, Parker rescued Hachi from being lost and alone, and Hachi responds with this life that's fully devoted to his master, even when Parker wasn't there anymore. So after all that God has done for us, you know, after his rescue of us, after all the loving kindness and forgiveness, after all the picking us up and protecting us and providing for us, how much of our life should be devoted to him? And so you start thinking about the areas of your life, you know, my time, my money, my plans, my work, my future. How much of that should be devoted to God? And then I thought, this really hard question. I wasn't, it's not even in here. I took it out. It's so hard. But I'm going to share it with you. How long would you go to your prayer closet if you knew God wouldn't show up and meet you ever again? How long? You know, based on what he's done in your past, the loving kindness, you know, and you say he's not going to do anything else while you're walking this earth. He's just going to take you to heaven when you see him. How long would you keep going to the prayer closet to talk to him? Fully devoted. You know, in, the ans- in those answers is the way that we find out how we're responding to God's loving kindness today. And so that level of devotion, it's either going to look more like the Israelites and giving ourselves to the things of this world, or it's going to look more like Hachi and waiting for his master to get off the train even after he was gone. You know, I thought God has given us this day. It's a beautiful day outside, and it's another opportunity for us you know, to devote our lives. You've started really well showing up here uh, this morning, an hour early. <laughs> you know, so now we got the rest of the day. We can choose how we're going to live it. And the right response is we devote it uh, to God. In verses 5 to 7, there's another kind of love coming at us that God gives. But it doesn't sound like love. But as we go through it, it gives us uh, the chance to respond with repentance. So verses 5 to 7. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. So again, Hosea provides... In those verses, this big picture of the judgments that we've been looking at for the last several weeks. Uh, They were going to come on Israel for their unfaithfulness to God. You know, remember they had been flirting with Assyria and with Egypt, you know, trying to find a friend there. So when things got tough, they could run to that friend. 
But God says, because they wouldn't return to me, then he was going to give them what they wanted. He was going to just give them over to their enemies by lifting his hand of protection. Um, and so Israel would no longer be a nation. They were going to be, uh, they were going to be taken into exile, most of them to, to Assyria, and then uh, some of them as refugees to Egypt. Uh, so they have no property, no land, no place to call home. And God was not going to bless their multiplication, as we heard about last week in their, in their child-rearing. Um, and so war was coming on this nation because of these events that had come to pass. And it was all because God wraps it up there because they wouldn't turn back to him. And they wouldn't turn back to him. So he was giving them what they wanted so that they would see what life was like without his involvement, that it wasn't going to be good. And that's how we can see that this is God's love uh, in, in, these, in these actions. Um, he gives them their freedom to find out for themselves what life's like with what they wanted and without him. So verse 7 ends with their response. They cry out to him. But he doesn't do anything because he knows they're crying just because of the pain, just because they're in pain. And that's not what he's looking for. Now, God uses that same kind of, of love with us um, in, in various forms. I mean, he begins with convicting us about our sin. You know, he will convict us. He will discipline us. He will frustrate us in our efforts. He will warn us, all of these things. And then eventually he will just give us over to what we want so we can find out what it's like and it's always bad for us and that causes us to turn back toward him that, so that's that's what the whole goal of all of those things are you know why does he do these things why is he taking his hand off israel because suffering is one of the main ways that it causes us to turn toward home and run to dad suffering is when we experience that sorrow now some sorrow we would call worldly sorrow and it's, it's kind of temporary. It's like the reaction to pain more than a response uh, to the pain. And that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for sorrow over our sin like he has sorrow over our sin, godly sorrow. And when we get that, um, we respond with repentance and life changes. Okay, so it's, it's March and in another, I don't know, 10 days, it's basketball time, right? It's like... Um, so I, I found this really good story about a basketball game that happened in 1989. Well, this happened to a player. When Michigan played Wisconsin on January 21st, 1989, there was, Michigan had a guard. His name was Ramil Robinson. And it was late in the fourth quarter, and he got a chance to shoot two foul shots. And uh, he was down by, their team was down by one point. And so he steps to the line, and he misses both free throws. And Wisconsin upsets the favored Michigan. So Ramil, he felt so bad about costing his team the game um, that he, you know, he was just kind of distraught over that. Um, but his, his feelings it, it went beyond just emotions, his sorrow. After each practice, he started shooting free throws. He shot 100 free throws after every practice for the rest of the season. And that prepared him for what was going to come because he was at the foul line again with two shots, three seconds to go in overtime in the national championship game on April 3rd, 1989. Guess what happened? Swish, swish, and they won the game. 
So that's an example. Ramil's repentance had been genuine. His sorrow was more than just emotion. It motivated him to change things in his life so that he wouldn't end up in that same place. And that reminds us of Second uh, Corinthians um, chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It causes us to make this turnaround in, in our life and be faithful to our God. Um, so that is the right response to his loving efforts to show us our sin. You know, last week, our, our, men, our men's group got together on Tuesday night, and we closed the meeting with hearing Psalm 51 read. And I call that Psalm the anatomy of repentance. is written by David. And here's just a few verses, verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So that is a right response uh, to God's convicting love when he shows us our sin. You know, David, he makes no defense in that psalm. He, no excuses. He just accepts responsibility. He abandons himself to God's mercy and asks for forgiveness. I thought today, sometime today or in the morning, uh, spend some time in Psalm 50, 51. You know, just start, just read the whole thing in its entirety and do that, asking God to show you where there might be a place in your life that's causing him sorrow. You know, ask him about that. Ask him uh, to reveal it from your relationships or your habits or your work or school or your attitude or your worship. And you want to listen to his voice and, and ask him for that fresh brokenness over things that are just going on and on in your life. And they're breaking his heart. And when you're able to feel that sorrow like he feels it, and then you remember the price that was paid to wash that sin away. You know, there's, re, there's a re, opportunity for repentance to come in, in your life. And then it makes this amazing love all that much more amazing. So re, re, repentance, the only right response to God's, God's amazing love. Um, did, your, did your mom or dad ever say to you, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you? I don't remember my mom and dad ever saying that to me because I never got in trouble. But um, I hear that some parents, some parents <laughs> say that. <laughs> so in verses 8 and 9, the father of Israel sure seems to be feeling that way. He's pronounced this right judgment over Israel and the consequences for their actions. But his heart seems to be breaking over them. And so he relents. So what we hear in these words is mercy. And, uh, and the only right response to that is worship. So let's, uh, let's see, 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? And, tr- and how can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. So it sounds like God's love is talking him out of destroying his people. He loves them so much he doesn't want to lose them. He doesn't want to let them be conquered. Now, 
Adma and Zeboim, those are sister cities to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're mentioned five times in the Old Testament, always together. Um, they were destroyed when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, and they just became the symbol of judgment and, and destruction. And so God mentions them there. So God's pulling back from wiping out his people because his heart is filling up with this love for them, and it overwhelms him here, like no other place in Hosea. I mean, it's just, how can I do this to you? You know, and then the result is verse 9, where he speaks where he speaks mercy. I will not let loose my burning anger. I will not wipe out Israel. And the verses finish, finish with God sort of making justification uh, for his actions. He says, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I won't bring the full extent of my wrath. So it sounds like God is saying there that, hey, I'm God and I can do what I want which is true, but he cannot do something that would contradict who he is. You know, so he cannot contradict himself. He cannot do something that would be unjust because he is holy, but here he is, he's also a God of love who's in the midst of sinful people that he wants to know. So his compassion won't let him completely destroy them for their sins, which is what they deserve, but they're still going to be conquered uh, by the other nations and they're still going to be dispersed uh, and going to live in exile, no place to go home, no, no way uh, to worship God. So how does God pull this off? How does he, do, how does he not contradict himself you know, with his righteous judgment and his loving compassion and mercy? How does he do that? Well, he does it with the cross. He does it with the cross. See, within this people uh, that are left after the war comes upon Israel... Uh, after they're sent off into exile and refugees in Egypt, within those people there is a remnant who are faithful to God. And Isaiah 10, 21 and 22 kind of talks about them. It says, In that day the remnant left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob, will no longer depend on allies who seek to destroy them, that is Syria and Egypt, but they will faithfully trust the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. Yes, the remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. And so those people who um, get sent off into exile, they end up returning to Jerusalem. They come back to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple, um, to to reestablish worship there. And those are the people that reestablish the nation of of Israel. And we end up reading about them in the New Testament. And from those people come a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, and by believing in him and his death on the cross provides forgiveness for our sins, his resurrection over the grave gives us hope to conquer death. By all of that, his love was poured out on us. Jesus is the conduit for God's mercy to all people. It all comes through him. He's the one that satisfied both God's righteous judgment and his longing to be with us sinful people. Because when you think about it, we're no different than these people in, in Hosea's day. We're no different than, than, the, than the people of Israel. I mean, we are the prodigal son who is bent on going our own way, who's, who's giving our life to the things of this world. You know, we sacrifice and we strive for, for stuff that's just going to burn up and not be eternal. And we do that, and so we are no different. And so we, we deserve no different. But because God has this great love for us, Jesus died while we were still sinners. So he bridges the gap between God's righteous judgment and his compassion and forgiveness. 
He's the Holy One who wants to be in our midst. Though our sins are like scarlet, the blood of Jesus washes us white as snow. So what should be the proper response, the right response to that kind of mercy? Worship. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is how the Bible defines worship, where we offer our bodies as living sacrifices every single day. We stop living according to the pattern of this world. We renew our minds with his word, and it gives us, it gives us eyes to see this world and the headlines and people the way he sees people. We begin to know his will, what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go, who he wants us to love, who he wants us to speak to, all of this. So we hold our lives before God with open hands, being willing to say to him, okay, God, here I am, anything, anytime, any place. That's, that's the right response to the mercy that we have received. You know, I see this act of worship as Pastor Shane made the announcement uh, last week that he's going to be leaving. He's going to be going to another church. God's calling him to go fill a void in that church. They have not had a shepherd. You know, his life his life is, is laid open before God, and, and their family has said yes to that. It's a sacrifice uh, to leave. And he's doing that out of obedience to God's calling in view of God's mercy. So think about it. In view of God's mercy, is there any part of your life that you're holding on to? That's your part. You know, God, you can have all this part, but I'm holding on to this part. Is there anything you need to open up your hands in view of God's mercy? Is there anything that you wouldn't give? Is there any place you wouldn't go? Any person you wouldn't talk to? Anything that you would not do for him? The only right response to what God has done for us through the blood of his own son is worship. So listen, don't leave here today without saying to God, here I am, anything, anytime, any place. And then be ready because <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll have you do something. Okay, verses 10 and 11, they, we get this glimpse of the future. Of Israel and God's restoring love. And the only right response to this kind of love is praise. So let's read that. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from, from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. So what we're reading about here is not a prophetic judgment due to the sin of God's people, but a prophetic promise due to the love and faithfulness of God. And you've got to love the way God announces it. Remember the warnings that we heard over, you know, a couple of times in those chapters? Sound the trumpet, you know, war's coming. Here it's the roaring lion. You know, he's going to 
roar and his people are going to answer in fear and trembling. And that fear and trembling, remember we talked about that last week, that reverence and awe where they come back to him and they follow him. So they come back with that and God brings them back to, from the land of their enemies, back to their homes, back to rebuilding the temple, back to the city of Jerusalem. In Ezra chapter 7, you can read about some of that. They celebrate their first Passover and it says there that all the people were filled with joy and they celebrated it for seven days. And as you look at that, as you read that, there's, it's, it's all a picture for us as the church of what, what's ahead for us. You see, right now we are the remnant and we're living in a foreign land as alien and as aliens and strangers. This is not our home. This is not our home. God called us to be the light of the to be lights in the world by following the light of the world. He called us to do that. Our good shepherd has given us a work to do. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And so we recognize his, his goodness in, in all of that. I mean, today, Sunday, we're just waking up today. You know, most people are waking up going, man, I, have to, it's an, I lost an hour of sleep today. But this isn't just another day for us. This is God's day. We're here. That's amazing love that, that he chose us to, to, to have faith, to know him. It's amazing love. And so while we work for him to make disciples, we wait for him. Living our lives devotedly with worship, surrendered to his will. Um, and then along the way, we get to see some of his grace. You know, we get to see some of his goodness in our life. And I'm like, you know, we celebrate just little good things, right? I mean, I'll, I'll celebrate little good things. It's hard. You know, what's going on? It's hard. You know, light changes. Thank you, God. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm late, lights, green, green, green. <laughs> I'll sell, I don't care. I'll celebrate all that stuff. I'll celebrate the sunshine coming down. I'll celebrate, you know, a, a, a raincoat when it's raining. <laughs> These are God's good gifts to us. Do you have anything that you can see in your life, his, his grace, his goodness to you, that you could praise God for today? Do you have anything? Yeah? Anything? Well, good, because we're going to spend some time praising God right now. Let's have our worship team um, come back up. This is the only proper response uh, to God's amazing love. So what I'm going to do is we're going to, we're going to go into a time of prayer here this morning. And I'm going to uh, read Psalm 148 to lead us into that. And we're going to do um, some what we used to call at our house popcorn prayers, where we just pop off praise and thanksgiving. In a short sentence. Uh, so everybody's going to have a chance to praise God today in prayer. And so, it, it, you know, it's just like, God, I praise you for giving me the strength from last week. Short sentence prayer. God, I, I praise you for helping me get my homework done this weekend. Short sentence prayer. Or, or you can even praise him for something you're believing that's going to happen. You know, God, I praise and thank you that the dead trees beside the church are coming down next week. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, you, you can do that too. So that's how it is, just popping off praise and thanksgiving. So let's stand together. I'm going to read Psalm 148, and then we'll, we'll go into to praising God, just speaking our prayers one at a time, just short sentence prayers, and then all together we'll sing God's praise with our worship team. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in, in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. 
Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Let's praise him. Father God, I praise you today for that sun shining down and being here with all these people. Oh God, it's our privilege to praise you. To celebrate you in the morning and all day long. To recognize your goodness and grace to us. It's it's more abundant than we have seen. We praise and thank you for your plan. It's always right, always good, always the best for us. We praise you for your Holy Spirit who you have given us to help us walk in your ways, to help us do your work, to help us wait for you. We thank you for being such a good, good God. And we praise you today. We praise you for Jesus who left his place to come here and show us what love looks like. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. And thank you for his resurrection. We pray it all comes to life in us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.